As we heard the text this morning, isn't it um, a very penetrating set of words, isn't it? Um, from the book of James. We are currently in the book of James in our Faith That Works series. And as we've heard, James is a very practical book that addresses really, I think, one big question that many people have about Christianity. The question is, if you really believe in the message of Jesus Christ, then how does it actually work out in real life? If we really believed in the message, how does that then work out in real life? Because people today not only want to know if Christianity is true, but they also want to know that whether it works. And the book of James shows us how faith in Jesus does actually work. There's actually real practical implications, changes in your life if you believe in the message of Jesus Christ. And this week we start at a new chapter, chapter 4. And the text shows us how faith works in community. And in this passage, James insists that genuine Christians will take the necessary steps to prevent conflict amongst God's people. Take necessary steps to avoid conflict amongst members of a church community. And James starts by asking, what is the cause that fights, causes fights and quarrels? James' answer is, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Verse 2, your desires but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The key word is not want, what you want, sorry. And the Greek word for want is hedony, where we get the word hedonism. So it's this desire to please yourself, a want to please yourself. Your comfort, your convenience, your control, those kind of things are more important than you to serve your pleasure than anybody else's. And when you don't get to fulfill your self-pleasing desires, when your desires are frustrated, James says that can lead to quarreling and fighting with each other in order to get what you want. And James, with penetrating insight, gives us a powerful analysis of human conflict. That is, anger and conflict can be traced back to frustrated desires to what want what we don't have. Traced back to frustrated desires to want what we don't have. Are you perhaps find yourself to be a grumpy, angry, perhaps critical type of person? And somehow you always just find yourself getting into fights James says it's because you're a frustrated person and you're frustrated because you live with the mentality that my life is for me. I live to please me and myself. And look, this has been very true for Amy and I in the last two days. We've had to take Tristan to the hospital. He's had to stay in the hospital for two nights. His cold had gotten worse. He's much better now. He's uh, for going to the hostel, but it was yet another time where my comfort, uh, my convenience, my control, my rest and my sleep had been frustrated. And Amy and I found ourselves at the hospital being snappy at each other. Because deep down, we weren't getting what we wanted. We 
weren't getting a nice weekend, we weren't getting a good night's sleep, we weren't able to do any other things besides sitting and waiting in the hospital. And so we're learning that this is the cost, this is the real sacrifice of being a parent. This is the reality that the Instagrammers aren't showing of what it means to have a family. And so we've learned that we need to lay down our life for another. And in having a family, I need to change my mentality from my life is for me to my life is for you. And we also need to have the same mentality when it comes to creating and having a church family. Tom Howard, a Christian author, who wrote a book called Splendor in an Ordinary, he says this, no child has ever received life without the laying down of his mother's life in bearing and nourishing the child. And somebody had to lay down his life for the child year after year in caring for him and training for him and providing for him. And he goes on to say this very uh, interesting words. He says, this laying down of life always entails a death. It's a death in effect to my 10 minutes. It's a death to my privilege. See, Tom Howard is pointing to a reality that we fail to constantly recognize in our individualistic culture constantly. That is the principle that my life is for you is the only principle on which any life at all is possible. That my life is for you is the only principle that we're in this world we can have life at all. And it's the same principle that brings life to a church community. When somebody comes and dies to their 10 minutes, lays down their privilege, lays down their time, lays down their service, goes through all these little deaths to do something for you, then community is created. Community is birthed. Community has life. When we all have our little death moments. See, we have frustrated, unmet desires because our mentality and our motive is to live for me. And this leads to quarrels and fights, to get what we don't have. So it's totally reasonable for God to not answer our prayers for the things that our selfish and covetous desires want. Verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I don't think he's trying to be a mean God. I think he's just trying to be a good father. And sometimes the most loving thing to do as a parent is to not give things that would enable a child to act and live carelessly, live foolishly, act out dangerously, driven by unhealthy, selfish, prideful, arrogant motives. Sometimes we don't get what our sinful and selfish uh, desires want so that God in his fatherly love can direct, and direct our desire to pursue godly things, good things. And another word for pursuing sinful things is worldliness in the Bible. Pursuing godly things is godliness. And when we pursue worldliness over godliness, James says actually we are cheating on God. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? 
Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? When our worldly, selfish desires leads us into conflict with one another, it also leads into a more serious conflict, a conflict with God. When we call ourselves Christians and we pursue worldly things, things that makes us perhaps greedy, superficial, prideful. James says we're having an affair with God. You need to picture that. If you know of someone, or if you know very personally, uh, just the hurtful reality of someone who's been cheated against, that's how God feels. And when we start to live according to the values of the world instead of the values of God, God takes it personally. Just like a husband who finds his wife in bed with a thug that he or she was dating with before he came into her life and he rescued her from that awful relationship, such a husband has every right to be angry. In the same way, God has every right to be angry when we go back to our worldly ways of self-destruction. And so James says we are either friends with the world or friends with God. We cannot pursue both. And God is rightfully a jealous God. And so if we acknowledge that we've been perhaps more obsessed about the things that the world is obsessed with, then we need to turn back to God. And the good news is that if we humbly turn back to God, God will forgive us and take us back. That is the loving nature of God. James says he will give us more grace but grace is only received when we are humble James quotes Proverbs 3 verse 34 and says God opposes the proud but he shows favor to the humble and so the remedy to our selfish desires and worldliness is humility and humility is shown by submitting to God verse 7 submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James says that submitting to God means three things. Firstly, submitting to God is obeying and coming under his rightful rule and authority over our lives. Secondly, submitting to God means resisting the devil's temptations and lies. And the biggest lie that the devil whispers into our ears is that by submitting to God, it's, it's not fun. Submitting to God is a joy kill. We need to resist those lies. And thirdly, submitting to God is repentance, turning away from sin. And James says true and genuine repentance will involve grieving mourning and wailing at the end of verse 8 wash your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded grieve mourn wail that's a picture of repentance change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up that's not the image of uh worship is it but the bible says that is a great image of worship because that is true repentance. 
True repentance is not saying sorry. A genuine turning away from sin will mean that you are totally gutted. You are totally horrified by your own sinful actions. True repentance will make you say not, I made a mistake. Rather, true repentance will make you say, I've hurt my creator and savior. And so we're not to regret our sin. James encourages us to grieve over our sin. We're to grieve over sin more than we grieve over our favorite sports team losing. We are to grieve over sin more than we are to grieve over a disappointment. And it's only when we feel the horror and pain of sin will we ever actually turn away more definitively, more concretely, more determinedly, and not go back to sin. See, godly grief over sin is where repentance to God actually starts. But God doesn't leave us there. It is at that point of humility, is at that point of admitting how horribly and truly disgusted we are with our own worldliness and actions that we are comforted and we are lifted up by God's amazing grace. See, when we humbly repent of our sin and we turn to God, God says he will lift us up. He forgives us of our sins. And he makes us right through Jesus' death and resurrection. And he elevates us to be heirs with Jesus Christ. See, only when we see the horrible nature of sin can we ever see how incredible Jesus' grace and forgiveness truly is. And it's only when we see those two things do we have the power to joyfully pursue godliness instead of worldliness. And then we see how horrible we are in sin and how incredible we are in Christ. Will we ever have the power to be faithful to God and not cheat on Him for things of this world? Only if we become overwhelmed by Jesus' ongoing grace and forgiveness every time we sin and every time Jesus gives us more grace will we have the power to keep on pursuing godliness. So how does that actually work out in your life, my life? The first step is to grieve over the seriousness and severity of your sin. And some of you are stuck with going back to your sin. Because perhaps you haven't really grieved over it. You haven't cried about it. Perhaps you haven't really seen how much it really hurts God. The way to break free from your sin is for you to emotionally feel the horror and pain of sin. And so right now, you perhaps need to stop making excuses. Stop saying, oh, I've just made a mistake and start saying, I have hurt my Creator and my Savior. And turn to God, repent in humility and ask for His forgiveness. And once you repent to God with your sin, then you need to be lifted up by Jesus in His forgiveness. You need to believe and trust that Jesus has forgiven you. Believe and trust that God is no longer angry at you. Believe and trust that you are his beloved child and you are an heir to his eternal kingdom. Only when you humbly grieve over your sin and are lifted up by Jesus' forgiveness will you ever stop pursuing the things that your selfish desires want 
in order for you to start pursuing the things that God desires. And when you humbly grieve over your sin and be lifted up with Jesus, you will then do the second thing. You will relate, speak, and judge others with humility rather than pride. Only in humility before God will we have the power to not slander one another, as James instructs in verse 11. Only in humility before God will we not speak against a brother or sister or to judge them harshly. And James is not saying we can't be discerning. He's not saying we can't give each other constructive feedback or correct one another in the best interest of another. James is speaking against a prideful, arrogant use of judgmental words which condemns or defames a person's salvation or standing before God. Because as James points out, only God is the lawgiver and judge. So how might we relate, speak and judge others with humility rather than pride looks like? Let's get really practical. And I found Jonathan Edwards in his book on Revival of Religion, a book about um, what it takes or what he's seen for the church to break out in revival. And he says these things. He says there's six indicators of what spiritual pride looks like and therefore what spiritual community and looks like which can grow a church, bring spiritual vitality and perhaps stoke revival in a church. And so here are six indicators of spiritual pride which I've paraphrased from the book. So number one, Pride makes you aware of others' fault more than your own. Humility makes you far more aware of your own faults than others. Number two, pride makes you speak of others' fault with contempt and disdain. Humility makes you speak of people's faults with grief and mercy. Number three, pride makes you quickly separate from people who criticize you. Humility means you stick with people even through difficult relationships. Number four, pride makes you rigid, dogmatic, and sure about everything you believe. Humility makes you sure about the major things of faith and flexible with the minor things of faith. Number five, Pride makes you love to confront others because you like to win. Humility makes you confront only when it's necessary. And last, number six, the most penetrating of all, pride makes you often unhappy and sorry for yourself. Humility makes you happy and thankful for all that God has given here's the reason why. Proud people are often filled with self-pity because they're so sure that they know how life ought to go and they're so adamant that they deserve the good life. And when things don't go to what they expect, they feel sorry for themselves. But humble people says, I deserve to be cast away. It's only by the grace of God that I'm even living Humble people say, I don't know what's best for me. And so here are some very real 
and a practical picture of what humility looks like in a community. Humble people are slow to speak of other people's faults. And when they do, they always speak very gently, respectfully, kindly, never disdainfully or proudly. They stick with people through difficult relationships. They are flexible rather than dogmatic. They're not afraid of confronting, but they don't like it. And when they do it, they're very persuasive because they're not out to win, they're out to heal. They almost have no self-pity. Instead, they have this inner confidence. See, truly confident people are humble people because they have this inner confidence to be able to lay down their lives for another person with vulnerability and honesty because they know from the depths of their hearts that though they are sinners, Jesus laid down his life for them. See, at the cross we see my life is for you principle in the ultimate. We see the greatest act of humility. Jesus died to himself and God lifted him up. And when we put to death sin by Jesus' death and forgiveness, God lifts us up. This is our self-worth in Christ. Eternal exaltation from God. And let that pound your heart that your self-worth is eternal exaltation from God. Let that pound into your heart so that that confidence of your worth before God is worked out into every facet of your life. Let that thump into your heart until everything in your life feels, understands and knows of the eternal exaltation from God. Then you will have real spiritual humility. Then you have this lack of self-interest. Then you won't care about focusing on yourself all the time then you can serve one another. Then real community is formed. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, help us to be the kind of community your son said we should be to show the world who you are. We admit that we are affected more by the world than we are by the gospel. And because of our pride, we really don't understand how much you love us. But as the gospel becomes more of a reality to us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the service of this worship today, by our community with each other, we pray that you would make us more and more confident in who we are in your Son who came not to be served, but to serve and he give his life for others. In his name we pray, amen.